Good afternoon. We're very glad you're able to join with us for our weekly open air outreach. This week we're coming from Buchanan Street on Glasgow City Centre. And it's a real privilege to be able to come out and to bring something of the Christian gospel to your attention this afternoon. We're here from Partick, Free Church of Scotland, continuing. We are a, a local congregation, as you might expect by listening to our name, that we minister in the Partick area of Glasgow. We are a Scottish registered charity, and uh, we do welcome you to our normal worship services, which are held every Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and again in the early evening at 6 p.m. And we meet at Two Thornwood Terrace, that's just off Dumbarton Road. And when you come to the police station, if you go up the hill there, opposite the police station, you will climb a steep hill and then you will come to Thornwood Primary School. And we're next door at the crossroads. And we extend a warm welcome to you any Lord's Day, that Sunday, the first day of the week. And we meet at 11 a.m. and again in the early evening at 6 p.m. Now this is quite normal for us. We come out once a week. We try to at least once a week. Sometimes we're here on Buchanan Street and other occasions we're at Partick Station. But it's quite normal and quite common for us to be out seeking to bring something of the Christian gospel to you as you pass by. Today is a lovely day the Lord has given to us. We're very, very happy for global warming or climate, climate change because the temperature that we've got today is well above what we would expect for a February afternoon. And we're very grateful that the Lord has given to us this lovely day whereby we might have an opportunity to come out and to draw to your attention something concerning uh, the gospel the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do this because we have been commissioned. Christ has given a commission to his first century apostles and uh, the disciples. And he told them, he gave them that great commission that we find in the New Testament. We find it at the end of Mar uh, Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 28. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Now the early church fulfilled that commission as best as they could. And indeed, we admire all that the apostles and the disciples managed to attain, considering 
they do not have uh, the modern transport means that we have. But we have taken up that commission because that commission was not only given to the, the first century church, it was also given to the 21st century church. And we have a, a privilege and a duty to go out with the gospel. Well, we do it because we have been commissioned, but we also do it because there's a great need. And that need can be seen in two ways anyway. The first way can be seen by the fact that many, many people do not go to a Christian place of worship. Most of our churches nowadays are even less than half empty. And I would suspect that most of the people on Buchanan Street this afternoon have never been to a Christian place of worship. And therefore, they've never heard the authentic gospel. And therefore, it is incumbent upon us to go out and to draw your attention to the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is another reason. Because people don't go to the house of God, and therefore they don't hear the Word of God, and they don't hear the gospel being proclaimed to them, they are therefore ignorant of the gospel. They are ignorant of what Christianity is all about. And this is another reason that drives us out to the streets in order that we might be able for the short time that we have your attention to draw your attention to the, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, friends, there would be no Christianity without Christ. He is the very sum and the substance of the Christian gospel. And this is what we want primarily to draw to your attention this afternoon. And I want to read one or two verses that we find in God's Word in Philippians chapter 2 from verse 6. And I urge you, friends, to read these things for yourselves. No doubt you'll have a Bible at home. Maybe you never look at it, but I want to quote from the Bible. But I don't ask you to trust me. Read it in your own Bibles for yourself. Now, as I said, I want to read one or two verses from Philippians chapter 2. That's in the, the New Testament. And Philippians has been written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the Apostle Paul. And he says this about Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death 
of the cross. There, in these one or two verses that we have read, what do we find? We find the, the Apostle Paul outlining the humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is reminding us about this great and this glorious person who humbled himself. This person is the Son of God. Now we know many people will not accept that Jesus is God in the flesh. But he couldn't save us unless he was God in the flesh. If he was just a mere man, even a perfect man, even a most holy and perfect man, he could not in any sense save one single individual. No, the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternally begotten Son of God. And he's the one who came down from heaven and took upon himself our form and our nature. He became just like us. And when he came down to this world, he took upon himself our form and our nature, and he became just like us. Sin only accepted. He knew no sin. He did no sin. It was impossible for him to be a sinner. He was conceived by a wonderful, miraculous operation of God the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And although he was God, yet when he came to this world, he veiled his glory. He had all the attributes that belong to God, omniscience, omnipotent, omnipotence, all of these things belonged unto the Lord Jesus Christ. But they were veiled. If he was to walk in the streets as he did when he was in, came down, when he walked about the streets of Israel, if he was to walk like that today, we would not see any difference in him because he would veil his glory. But he was and is God in the flesh. And he made himself of no reputation. He was despised and rejected by men. We are told that in the prophecy of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 53. And he was made in the likeness of men. But more than that, he even humbled himself even further than that. He didn't just come as a man. He came as a servant. He came as the lowest of the low. Had he come to this world as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, had he come even as a mighty ruler, it would still have been humiliation for him. But he didn't come as a judge. He didn't come as a destroyer. He didn't come as a conqueror. He came as a man 
and he humbled himself to the point that he was a servant. And he was a servant, first and foremost, to his heavenly Father. He is the only one who fully obeyed the Word of God. He alone. And more than that, he became a man and a servant, but his death even was the ultimate humiliation. We might speak about it later on, but you will surely know this about Christianity, that the Son of God became the Son of Man in order that he might be able to suffer and to die. And he did. And he died a most cruel death. He died the death of crucifixion. To die in the, on a cross on the tree was to be condemned by God. And the Romans would never crucify even their most vilest of criminals. But that's the end that awaited the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God who became the Son of Man, who humbled himself, became a servant, and ultimately died that most cruel and horriblest of deaths, the death of the cross. Well, you know, friends, this is the way of Christianity. Here, the founder of Christianity, the great king and head of the church, has given us a pattern that we are to follow. Because before exaltation, there is always, there is always humiliation. There's always a cross before the crown. And that's the path that our Savior took. He also went the way of the cross before he was highly exalted. Now, why did he go to the cross? Why had he got to suffer and die? Why did this most glorious of individuals, who is God in the flesh, why did he die? Well, friends, he died in the room and in the place of sinners. And this is what we must grasp and understand. Before we will ever understand anything of Christianity, before we will marvel at what the Son of God has done, we must understand why he undertook all that he did. There's an incident that's recorded for us in Mark's Gospel when Jesus called Matthew Levi. Now, Matthew Levi was a tax collector. He was a hated and despised individual. Why? Well, because he used to t collect taxes from his fellow citizens and pass them on to the Romans. He would have a certain amount of tax to collect in any one period of time, in a month or in a six-month period or a, a year. And if he managed to collect more than what was assigned to him, he would be able to pocket the difference. And tax collectors were good at collecting tax, more than what was required. And therefore, most of them became very rich. One day, Jesus came across Matthew Levi at the receipt of custom. What was he doing there? He was collecting tax. 
And Jesus said to him, follow him, follow me, follow me. That's what he said. And what happened? Well, Matthew Levi left the receipt of custom. He left his money. He left his books. He left his occupation. And he began to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he turned his back upon his old life. And he began to follow the Savior. And to show that he truly had begun a new life, he threw what we would call today a house party where he invited Jesus and his disciples and also his former colleagues, former tax collectors. He invited them to come to this house party where Matthew Levi might tell them that his old life is finished and whereby he might introduce his former colleagues, to the Savior. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of that day, they couldn't understand how Jesus would want to be associated with such despicable sinners. And they took exception to the fact that Jesus was there eating and drinking with publicans and sinners. What was the, rea the reaction of the Lord Jesus Christ? We read it here. When the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, Amen. but sinners to repentance. Here's the great mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has come to call sinners to repentance. And the problem with the scribes and the Pharisees is quite clear. They did not recognize that they were sinners. They didn't realize that they needed a Savior. They were full of self-righteousness. They felt that because of their religious activity and because of their law-keeping, that they were right in the sight of God. And therefore, they did not need a Savior. And they were not sinners in their sight. Well, friends, we're inclined to think that the spirit of the Pharisees and the scribes has not left us. How many of us this afternoon will accept the Bible's verdict upon our lives? What does the Bible say about all of us? For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Again, you will read that in Romans chapter 3, Verse 23, I'm not making it up. It's in God's Word. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We might be fine, upstanding members of the community, 
and the law of the land does not have a case against us. But God's law does. God demands absolute perfection. God has given us law. He has given us His Ten Commandments. And we have broken them. And we are guilty in His sight. But friends, we must take heart. We must listen to the gospel. We must listen to the Word of God. We must listen to what I just read earlier. The words of the Lord Jesus, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's our great hope. We might think that we're whole, we might think that we're healthy in the sight of God. But that's not the case. But if we come to that understanding that we're sinners before an almighty God, then, friends, we are to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, as we find here, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And that's what he does through the preaching of the gospel. That's what happens, friends, when we come out and we seek to declare the Word of God. That we would tell you the truth as it is in Jesus. We're not out here to flatter you. We're not out here like others who are on the street here. They're trying to amuse you with music. And we might call them soothsayers. They're trying to please you. They don't want you to think about things that really matter. They don't want you to think about eternity. They don't want you to think about sin, about salvation, about death, about judgment. But friends, if we truly love people, we will tell them the truth as it is in Jesus. This is what we must do. This is what comes with the gospel. And friends, we are to realize that Jesus Christ has said himself, I came not to call the righteous. Why? Because there are no righteous. There are no righteous individuals in the sight of God. That's why he does not call them. And if we are ones who are passing by this afternoon and we think nothing of the Lord Jesus Christ, what are we saying? We are saying we are righteous. We are saying we don't need the Savior. We are saying we're okay as we are. What does the Bible say? Something completely and utterly different. What does it say? There is none righteous. No, not one. None righteous. None righteous in the sight of God. And friends, we need to be righteous in the sight of God. It doesn't matter if we're righteous in our own eyes, or in the eyes of our family and friends, or indeed in the eyes of the law of the land. That's not sufficient. In order to spend a happy eternity, in order to be right with God, in order to go to glory at the end, friends, we need something more than our own righteousness. What do we need? We need the righteousness of Christ. That's what we need. And it's only found in Him. And we are to take encouragement, therefore. He says, I came not to call the righteous, 
but sinners to repentance. Now, friends, do we realize then, as far as God is concerned, do we realize that we're sinners in His sight? Do we realize the divine verdict that is upon us? For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Young, old, male, female, light-skinned, dark-skinned, whatever tongue, whatever nationality, it matters not. Why? Because we've all come from Adam. We all have a common father, and he was made righteous. Does the Bible not teach us that God made man after his own image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures? Did God not make our first parents perfect? Adam from the dust and Eve from Adam? And were they not a perfect couple? But did they not fall? Yes, they did. They rebelled against the living God. God had given them a very clear and simple commandment. They were in paradise. They were in that garden that had been prepared for them. Everything was laid on. Their Creator was good and kind and gracious to them. But He gave them one commandment in order that He might test whether their love for Him was real and sincere. And they could eat from all the trees in the garden except for one. They were not allowed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if they did eat, if they did eat, they would die. Well, you know what happened. Eve was tempted. She succumbed to temptation. She ate the fruit. Adam was disobedient. And he took the fruit that was given to him by his wife. Now you might well say here on Buchanan Street on the February afternoon in 2023 or 24 it is now, you might well say, well, it's not a big deal. Well, friends, it is a big deal. It's a big deal to rebel against the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is nothing but high treason to disobey a commandment that has been given to them by a gracious God and to side with God's enemy who's out for nothing more than the destruction of every single human being. So you might not think it was a big deal, but it was. And friends, we cannot explain the world and all that's happening in the world today unless we have an understanding of this great moment in the history of mankind when Adam and Eve sinned. Because all our problems, 
every single problem in our personal lives, in the life of this city, in the life of this nation, and in the life of the nations of this world can all be ultimately traced back to that point in time when sin entered into mankind's experience. It was a big deal. Sin has brought its reward. What does the Bible say? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. <clears throat> what have we got in our world today? What have we got in our nation today? Do we not have prisons that are full? Do we not have family breakdowns? Do we not have violence and stealing? Do we not have lying and cheating? Do we not have sickness all around us? Do we not have suffering? Do we not have tears? Do we not have death itself? Well, all of these things can be attributed to sin. Sin is the cause of all our problems. But we want to thank God that in His mercy, He has provided a way whereby sin might be dealt with. And that's the very essence of Christianity. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Do you not therefore see and understand the great love of God, God who looked upon a sinful world, a world that has been dominated by sin, yet in the fullness of time God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them under the law. God, in His great love for mankind, has sent forth a Savior. Who is that Savior? That Savior is the only begotten Son of God, the one who came down from heaven, who left the realms of glory, and came down to this barren and this sin-cursed world, living a life of perfect obedience, only ultimately to go to the cross, there to offer up Himself that once for all perfect sacrifice to satisfy divine justice. I don't need to tell you, you will know it yourself, that we are awash with religion. All around us, even in our city and in our nation, we have multitudes of religions. Well, Christianity is different. Well, I'm glad you recognize there's a person called Satan. Satan. 
There are many things that make Christianity different from other religions. This is just one of them. What is it? Well, Christianity is God moving and working. Christianity has taken the initiative. God has taken the initiative and sent forth His Son. Christianity tells us about the Son of God who came down from heaven. No one else has ever done this. Let me try and find that verse in John chapter 3, a verse that Jesus spoke to Nicodemus. John chapter 3 and verse 13, this is what he said to Nicodemus, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Now that verse is profound, and it would be very difficult for us to expound it. But it tells us one thing very clearly, that the Son of Man, or the Son of God, is the one who has come down from heaven. And He's come down on a rescue mission. He has come down in order to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what He's done. And He has done this, friends, in order to save people who are on the broad road that leads to destruction. And indeed, that is true of us all by nature. When we come out of the womb, what are we? We are sinners. And before long, what superstars out the room, mate? You reckon superstars? I don't think so. Whatever we are, when we come out of the womb, we're sinners. And that sinful nature will soon manifest itself. You'll see it in your children. I've seen it in my children. You will too. And you didn't teach them to be naughty. You didn't teach them to misbehave. Where did it come from? It came from their sinful nature. Where did they get their sinful nature from? It came from you, from the parents. Where did you get your sinful nature? It came from your parents. And we can trace it all back to our first parents, to Adam and Eve, those who were created perfectly, but who fell, and sin entered into their experience. And that's why Jesus Christ, the second Adam, came from heaven. That's why He was conceived miraculously. He was not conceived in the same way as you and I were conceived, no. He was conceived by a miraculous work and operation of God the Holy Spirit, whereby the Son of God took upon Himself our form and our nature and became just like us. Well, we're glad to be here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We're going to take a short break to recharge our batteries, but may the Lord be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon. We're glad to be here. We're from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing our local congregation. 
and we are a Scottish registered charity. We meet at Two Thornwood Terrace, that's just up Dumbarton Road. And when you come to the police station, if you go up the hill opposite the police station, you will come to Thornwood Primary School. And we're next door at the crossroads and we meet every Lord's Day. That's the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Not Monday, as your calendars will tell you. Sunday is the first day of the week. And we meet there on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. And we also meet in the early evening at 6 p.m. And we would extend a warm welcome to you. Come along also to the Wednesday evening meeting at 7.30 p.m. Now these services are all open to the public. We're not a secret society and we are not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that we seek to proclaim. And you would be made most welcome. It may well be that you've not been to a place of worship for some time and you might find it a bit strange maybe well let us try to put you at ease please come along no obligation no pressure love to see you where you might hear more concerning the Lord Jesus Christ we come out friends in order to bring you even a snippet of the gospel because and this is not meant to be offensive in any way but there is a great deal of ignorance regarding what Christianity is all about why did Jesus Christ come to this world why did the Son of God leave heaven and all its glory to come down to this world. If I was to ask that question to you or other questions, you might not be able to give uh, an accurate answer. But these are fundamental basic questions that we should be asking ourselves because there is no doubt that there was an historical person called Jesus. We don't rely on secular history to substantiate what we proclaim, but even those secular authors will tell us that there was a person called Jesus who went about Palestine and Galilee and Jerusalem teaching, preaching, and performing miracles. And also, you know this, that time has been changed by the coming of the Lord Jesus. It was B.C. before he came. After his coming among us, it was changed to A.D. in the year of our Lord. That's a magnificent, mighty change that would never come about unless the truth was that there was a person called Jesus who so influenced the world like no other individual has influenced 
the world. And therefore, friends, we want to seek to educate you in some degree. Jesus is the Savior. You're quite right, sir. Good for you, sir. Jesus is the Savior. That's why he came. That's what the Apostle Paul said to young Timothy. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. A faithful saying, a true, a trustworthy saying. Sometimes, friends, we have to go far and wide to receive the truth. Who can you really trust today? Can you trust the politicians? I don't think so. Can you trust the media? I don't think so. There are many, many people that you cannot trust, but you can trust the Word of God. Why? Because it's God's Word, and God is not a man that He can lie, and His Word is true and steadfast, and not one word of the Lord will fall to the ground. And this is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, this is worthy for us to embrace, to acknowledge, to receive as truth itself. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. There is the good news of the gospel. Jesus left heaven. The Son of God became just like us. And he took upon himself to undertake a mercy mission. And that mission was to save sinners. Now, how could he possibly save sinners? Sinners to serve nothing but the wrath and curse of God. What does the Bible say about sin? The wages of sin is death. That's what it says. That's God's verdict upon sin. Sin deserves, or sinners deserve, to die for their sins. But the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. Now, how could he possibly save sinners? Well, he saved sinners because he went to the cross and he died their death. He died as their substitute. On the cross, he was being punished Yes, God the Father was laying upon him the iniquity of us all. Here he was, the sinless Son of God, the Lamb of God. He was being slain there, and God was laying upon him the punishment due for our sins. He was our substitute. In other words, he suffered what mankind deserves to suffer. And on the cross, friends, yes, he suffered a most cruel, physical, and mental death. But his spiritual sufferings were beyond our comprehension. 
because he was being punished for our sin. And God indeed was pouring out his wrath, his holy wrath upon the Son of God. Now, how does that save us? Well, Christ died. And indeed, that's the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die, the Bible says. And Jesus, who was righteous and pure, but he became sin for us. And he died in our room and in our place. Therefore, he took the punishment that belongs to mankind. But it doesn't stop there. We're glad to realize it didn't stop there. He was taken down from the tomb, from the, the cross, and he was put into a tomb. He was there on the Friday night. He was there the whole of Saturday. But what happened on the first day of the week? He arose. He came out of the grave. This is absolutely remarkable. This is astounding. Having been put into a borrowed tomb and been there on Friday night and all day Saturday, but on the third day, on the first day of the week, he arose. He came out of the grave. And this was to tell us that he had paid the price for our sins. He was our substitute. And God has accepted what he has done on our behalf. Good music. Better, better news, though. Much better news. The music will soothe you. But the good news, friends, if you accept it, will take you to heaven. The good news is concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, what he has done in the room and in the place of sinners. And he is our only hope. He himself has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There's no other way to get right with God. No other way to have your sins forgiven. No other way to be found in heaven at the end. No other way. No one else can save you. Doesn't matter what religion you follow. It doesn't matter what religious guru you follow. They cannot save you. There's only one Savior. There's only one God. And there's only one way to God. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life for ransom for all to be testified in due time. The Bible is quite clear on this matter, friends. We might be surrounded by many, many religions, but no other person can save you. No other person can forgive your sins. No other person can reconcile you to God. No other person can take you to heaven. 
only the one who has gone to heaven himself and who has gone to prepare a way for his people. He said to his disciples in John chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if you are trusting in Mary, or if you're trusting in any priest or pope or cardinal or any other person, you will sadly be disappointed. There's only one mediator. There's only one way to God. Mary herself was a sinner, and she blesses God, her Savior. And she had to be saved, like all of us. The Bible makes it clear, for there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the only way to be reconciled to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is found in none other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And friends, that's a great must. We must be saved. Because if we're not saved, we'll perish. The Bible tells us clearly that we might be informed and that we might be warned that there are two places after death and we will go to one of them. The Bible does not speak much about heaven, but it tells us there is a glorious place called heaven. And that's where the Lord Jesus Christ is. That's where God the Father is. That's where God the Holy Spirit is. That's where all the holy angels are. And that's where all who will believe upon Jesus Christ are and will be. But there's also another place. And you might not like to hear about it, but the Bible tells us about it in order that we might be warned, in order that we might take the appropriate action but the Bible tells us about a place called hell that has been prepared for the devil and for his angels. But people who will reject Christ, they will find themselves there if they die in their sins. And therefore, friends, that's why we come out, because this is the day of salvation. This is the time when God extends His mercy to you, whereby you might avail yourselves of Jesus Christ and of that wonderful provision that God has made for sinners. What must I do to be saved then? If I'm a sinner and if I'm under the condemnation of God, as the Bible says we are by nature, then what must I do to be saved. You must believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You must call upon Him. You must trust upon Him. You must truly believe upon Him. You must believe what He has said. You must believe what He has said about Himself. And He has said that He is the Son of God. 
and that he is the only God-appointed Savior. And you must believe that he suffered and died on Calvary's tree in order to save sinners. You must believe this, and you must call upon him. You must repent. These are the two essential elements in the gospel proclamation, to repent and to believe the gospel, to repent from our sins. Oh, but I'm not a sinner, you tell me. Friends, we're all sinners. We sin in thought and in word and in deed every day of our lives. Every day of our lives. There is none righteous. No, not one. As Paul said, that verse I quoted earlier, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners. And do you notice what he says afterwards? Do you notice what he says about himself afterwards? Of whom I am the chief. Of whom I am the chief. Here the Apostle Paul is calling himself the chief of sinners. Well, surely if the Apostle Paul's a sinner, then we are sinners. Of course we are. How do we know we're sinners? You have God's law, do you not? You have the Ten Commandments, do you not? You know the Ten Commandments? Do you keep them? No, you don't. No, you cannot. It's impossible for you to keep them. What's the first commandment? The first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Do you worship and serve the one true and the living God? Do you acknowledge God at all in your life? You've got up today. Did you give thanks to God for the, the many blessings He has lavished upon you today? I put it to you, you probably never thought about him. And maybe the only time you've used his name is when you have blasphemed the great God of heaven. Well, friends, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Have you done that? Can you honestly say that you love God? Friends, by nature, the Bible tells us that we hate God. We don't love Him by nature. That's why we run away from Him. That's why we're not worshiping Him in His house. That's why we never read His Word. That's why we never call upon Him in prayer. Why? Because we hate Him and we seek to run away from Him. That's why when you're confronted with the Gospel, you turn your back and you despise the great God of heaven and what he has done for sinners in and through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, you have broken the first commandment. And if you have broken one commandment, you have broken them all. We are ones who are guilty before God. But... The Christian gospel is very comforting. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus
came into the world to save sinners. There's your hope. He didn't come to call the righteous because there are no righteous. There are no righteous in His sight. None whatsoever by nature. We're all unclean. We're all guilty. We're guilty before a holy God. But Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners. What must I do then to be saved? You must call upon Him. You must run to Him. You must surrender to Him. You must call upon Him that He might have mercy upon you. That's what you must do. That's what is required of you in the Gospel. Repent and believe the Gospel. Repent and turn away from your sins. Turn away from your idolatry. Turn away from your Sabbath breaking. Turn away from your lying. Turn away from your cheating. Turn away from your stealing. Turn away from your false witnessing. Turn away from your sexual sins. Turn away from adultery. Turn away from fornication. Turn away from homosexuality. Turn away from murder. Turn away, friends. Turn. This is what the Bible tells us. We are to turn. Yes. That's what repentance means. It's not just to be sorry for sin. It's to be sorry to such an extent that you are prepared to forsake your sins. That's what repentance is. And that's what's required of you. When you hear that Jesus Christ has came to save sinners, well, He tells sinners to turn away from their sin and to believe upon Him. Now, friends, we cannot do this in of ourselves. We don't have the will. We don't have the power. We don't have the inclination. But Jesus Christ can give us these gifts. He can give us the gift of repentance. He can give us that gift whereby we have faith in Him. For faith in Christ is truly a supernatural gift. It's not something that we can manufacture. It is something that Jesus Christ gives. And that's why you must come to Him. He alone can save. He alone can forgive your sins. He alone can reconcile you to God. And friends, listen. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now's the time. Why do we say this? Well, we say this, friends, because... Life is short. We're all mortal. We're all getting older. The day will come when you will be gathered to your fathers. The day will come when you will leave this scene of time. And there will be no opportunity in eternity to be reconciled to God. No opportunity. This today is the day of salvation. 
today in some small manner and measure. The gospel has been proclaimed unto you. The claims of Christ have been pressed upon you. You are therefore now without excuse. Now's the time to respond. Now's the time to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a glorious promise there. What a wonderful encouragement to us all. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Your sins are great. Your sins are many. Your sins will cause you, if they're not dealt with, for you to spend eternity in hell. But there is mercy with God. There is forgiveness. There is a way to be reconciled. For he has been delivered for our offenses and raised to life for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the experience of every Christian. Peace with God through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be here this afternoon. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We're going to take a short break and may God bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing with a local congregation and as you might expect from our name we minister in Partick in the west end of Glasgow. We try to come out weather permitting once a week and this week we're found on Buchanan Street in Glasgow city centre. And we're very glad that you're able to join with us in person and on the live stream. We meet every Lord's Day, that Sunday at 11 a.m. And again in the early evening at 6 p.m. And we would extend a warm welcome to you to come along. And we also meet on a Wednesday evening at the slightly later time of 7.30. Again, we extend a warm and sincere welcome to you to come along to any of the services which are certainly open for the public to attend. Well, friends, here we are. What is it? The 16th of February, 2024. Time's going on, is it not? Life's going on. You're getting older. We're all getting older. No one gets younger. We're all heading towards eternity. You don't want to think about eternity. There are young people here. They don't want to think about eternity. What does the Bible say? Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, 
I have no pleasure in them. And there Solomon, when he said that, he was the wisest man the world had ever known. And he had lived a full life. He had enjoyed everything that this world could give him. But his exhortation to the young was quite clear. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Because, friends, we can have our lives here, we can enjoy everything this world can give us, but the day will come when we'll pass into eternity. Yes, even young people pass into eternity. We'll all pass in, and what will happen to us when life is over, when we leave all our parties behind, when we leave all our possessions behind, when we leave all our money behind, when we leave our homes, our families, our loved ones, everything that we consider precious, we will leave behind and we will head into eternity. How will you fare on that day? What will happen the moment that you close your eyes in death? Where will you find yourself? Oh, I realize you don't want to consider this, but you must. We're all mortal. We're all going towards eternity. The angel of death will come upon us one day. We have an appointment with death. It is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment, you have an appointment that you cannot break, that you will keep. You will not be late for this. You might be late for various other appointments, but it has been appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. What's going to happen to you then, friends, on that great day? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Are you ready for that day? When you will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, who today is the Savior of mankind, but who on that day will be the judge of mankind. Now I ask you, friends, are you ready for that day? For we must all appear. There's a must about this. You cannot avoid it. I cannot avoid it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That's why we come out, friends, to tell you about this awesome day, this terrible day, when your very thoughts and all your words and all your actions shall be weighed by heaven's judge, a judge who will dispense justice, perfect justice, a judge from whom none can escape, a judge from whom you cannot 
make a higher appeal and you won't have a, a highly paid solicitor or king's counsel or a supreme court judge to deal with, you'll have Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the one who suffered and died in the room and place of sinners. That's who you'll stand before. How will you fare on that day then? Well, friends, the Bible tells us if we don't have a Savior that day, we will be damned. If we don't have the righteousness of Christ imputed to us on that day, we will perish. You will have no excuse. There will be no appeal, none whatsoever. That's why we come out, friends, to tell you that this day is coming. It's nearer now than it ever was. If you should get up tomorrow, it'll be even nearer. We'll all stand before King Jesus. We'll all give account to Him. How will you fear? Friends, this today is the day of grace. This is in the gospel. The gospel is proclaimed to you. And Jesus Christ is offered to you as a complete Savior, a one who is willing to save to the uttermost, a one who has shown his great love towards mankind by leaving the realms of glory and who came down to this world in order to seek and to save that which was lost. And in order to do this, he had to go to Gethsemane and sweat great drops of blood. And he had to go to Calvary to shed his blood and to give up his life as a ransom for many. And there, friends, when he went to the cross, it was God's plan. It was all foreordained by Almighty God, whereby there would be a way that sinners could be reconciled to a holy God. You see, God had to deal with sin. God cannot sweep it under the carpet. He cannot dismiss it. It is offensive to Him. And therefore, He devised a way whereby His Son would come, live a perfect life that we couldn't do, obey the law of God that we couldn't do, pay the penalty of breaking God's law that we cannot do. And He did all this. And the great news of the gospel is that those who put their faith and their hope and their trust upon Christ and receive Him as their Lord and Savior shall be saved. Yes, their sins shall be forgiven and they shall be reconciled to God. This is the wonder, this is the glory of the Christian gospel. This is what Isaiah spoke about some 600 years before the Savior came. Look unto me, 
and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Now Isaiah is not talking about himself. He's prophesying about someone who was to come. And who was that person? That person was the Messiah. That person was the Son of God. And what Isaiah is saying, look unto him, look unto the Lord Jesus Christ, and be ye saved, because we need to be saved. If we're not saved, friends, we shall be damned. If we're not saved, we shall be under the condemnation of God. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. This message is not just for the people of Glasgow, or the people of Scotland, or for the United Kingdom only. This message, this Christian gospel, is for all. It's for all the Jews and all the Gentiles. It's for every single nation under heaven. Why? Because we've all sinned. We've all come from Adam and Eve. They are our first parents. And they sinned, and we sinned with them. We have inherited their sinful nature. We are under their guilt and condemnation. But through the Lord Jesus Christ, if we believe upon Him, we shall be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. Only God could do this, friends. Only God could devise a way whereby sinners could be reconciled to Himself. And He does this through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a wonderful incentive to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Savior Himself did say, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come unto me, all ye that labor. Friends, are you laboring? Are you laboring? Are you under a heavy burden? I bet you are. And that burden, maybe you don't really know what it is. You cannot define it, but you know you're carrying a burden with you. What is that burden? That burden is your sin. And the only way it can be taken away is to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's to avail yourselves of that wonderful salvation that He has secured by His life, by His death, and by His resurrection. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Jesus said on one occasion, He that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God 
abideth on him. What's Jesus saying there in that verse to us today? He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. In other words, the moment that you trust upon Jesus, the moment that you close in with him in the gospel, you have everlasting life. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something that you get. It's something that you possess now. He gives it to his people. Friends, do you know this blessing? Do you know this wonder? Do you know this privilege? He that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life. What does it mean to believe upon him? It means to trust upon him. It means to surrender to him. It means to call upon him. Because, as you know, the devil believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Will he be saved? No. Will he be saved? He cannot be saved. Yet he believes upon him. To be saved, friends, is, is more than simply to believe some facts. To believe upon Jesus in the biblical sense is to trust upon him. He that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. By nature, the wrath of God is upon us. And if we continue in that state, the wrath of God will remain upon us. And if we shall die in that state, the wrath of God will continue throughout all eternity. But there's a way to be saved. There is a way that God himself has devised. And indeed, it took the wisdom of God to devise it. And that way was when he sent his son to live a perfect life and to die as a, in a, offering up himself as a once for all perfect sacrifice. And we have encouragement to go to the great God of heaven. What do we find in the word of God? Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. Is that not a tonic for us here on Buchanan Street on the 16th of February 2024? He delighteth in mercy, the God whom, whom we have offended by our behavior, delights in mercy. He delights to show mercy, and he delights in the fact that he initiated the great plan of redemption. It was him who sent his only begotten Son, 
God took the initiative. It was not mankind that sought to try to placate God. No. It was God who saw our plight. God who saw our difficulty. God who saw our ultimate end. And it was God. It was the love of God that sent the Savior. And indeed, it was the love of the Savior that went to the cross and endured all that was required of him in order to save his people. And therefore, this verse is true. We find it in Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. There is something to take home with us, friends. The great God of heaven delights in mercy, but it's only mercy in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. If we reject Christ, we will find that God is an all-consuming fire. He's only merciful in and through His Son. And if we reject the Savior, you will find that there is no mercy with God on that great day. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And that's why we come out, friends, in order that you might be persuaded to come and to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and to receive Him as your Lord and as your Savior. <clears throat> We're going to draw our time to a close. And we quote another verse. The Lord Jesus Christ said, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Ask yourself this question as you pass by, as you listen, with all your goods that you bought. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? What have you got everything that you could get on Buchanan Street this afternoon? What have you got all? And even more. What would it profit you? Because one day, you are going to leave all these things behind. Everything that you struggled for, everything that you've prized, everything that you've wanted to get and achieve, you're going to leave all behind. Where will you go? Well, Jesus says, you can lose your soul. To lose your soul is to go to hell. For your soul to be saved, you go to heaven. The only way you can be saved and to go to heaven is to have Christ as your Lord 
and Savior. That's the only way. Consider this question then. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, it's good to be with you this afternoon. We're from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. We're going to draw our time to a close, but may the Lord be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon. <laughs>